Our first reading comes from Genesis chapter 48, reading chapter 48 of Genesis and reading verses 1 to 6. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. This is the word of the Lord. If you could turn with me again to Genesis chapter 48. I'm going to be picking up the reading at verse 8 and going through to verse 20. So that's Genesis chapter 48, beginning at verse 8. Let's hear from God's word. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, so Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. May he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. 
May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Well, friends, as we come to have a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful word. Father, we thank you that by your spirit it speaks to us, he speaks to us. And through your wonderful word, you reveal yourself to us. Now, Heavenly Father, we would pray that you would do that wonderful, miraculous work now by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, friends, I think you'd agree, just when you think the story of Joseph couldn't get any more interesting, it gets more interesting. And as we come to this fascinating chapter, let me set the scene with a quote from a law professor called Jerry Bayer. He writes, The concept of adopting a child and having them given the same inheritance rights as a biological child was completely beyond the grasp of common law, attorneys and courts until very recent times. In fact, the idea that a person could have legal parents other than their biological father and mother was not recognised in the US until 1850 and not in England until 1926. In other words, less than a 100 years ago over in the motherland, While one was able to take a child into their home and bring them up as their very own, in terms of the law of the land, you were considered nothing more than a glorified babysitter. No legal standing, none whatsoever in the eyes of the king. Now that's all very interesting, but what does all of that have to do with Genesis chapter 48? And more importantly, what does all of that have to do with me today? Well, friends, with these questions raised, let's now dive in. Dipping into the back end of chapter 47 to pick up the thread. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147 When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, And Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And friends, as, as Jacob leaned on it, facing back to the land he came from, you can be pretty sure he was thanking God for that promise he gave Jacob 17 years earlier. I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. But before Jacob is put to rest, there are some important affairs, 
some very important family affairs to get in order. And so, chapter 48 and verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and, and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Now, friends, in case you're wondering about this appearance, Jacob is referring here to that spectacular vision he had of the heavenly ladder with those angels ascending and descending on it. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 28. Anyway, Jacob now shares with Joseph what Yahweh God said to him during that vision. Verse 4, have a look. He blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now, friends, understanding how things have gone in this family so far, this is the moment where you expect Jacob to now hand that patriarchal mantle onto Joseph. As Abraham did for Isaac and Isaac for Jacob, so now it's Joseph's turn to be blessed by his father and so become the patriarch, the leader of the nation he was meant to lead. Not Egypt, but Israel. But friends, as you may know, there is no fourth patriarch of Israel, is there? Now that whole leadership era ends with Jacob. Now, why is that? Well, have another look at what Jacob just told Joseph. God said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. Now, friends, stopping it right there, I don't know about you, but my immediate thought when I read that is community. Now, whatever happened to people as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, the sand on the seashore? Now, is this just an NIV quirk here? Well, friends, no, it's not. Other versions are even more modest. Some say a company of peoples. Others say a group. So was God, dare I say, exaggerating when he spoke to Abraham about all that was to come? Well, friends, the answer, of course, is no. Because what God is actually telling Jacob here was not the number in the great nation to come, but the makeup of this great nation to come. That is... Israel is not going to be one tribe, but a community, a federation of tribes. And this federation of tribes will be established and founded through Jacob. And friends, thanks to the last six weeks, we know the founding number here, don't we, of those tribes. As Jacob had 12 sons, so there will be 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, right, now I'm up to speed. 
Jacob hasn't called Joseph in to hand the, the patriarchal mantle onto him, but to tell him that he's going to make up part of this new blessed community. He's going to head up one of those 12 tribes of Israel. And in telling him first, maybe Jacob's favourite son is going to get dibs in the land. But no, that's not it either. Because as you may know, there is no tribe of Joseph, is there? Now all the other brothers get dibs, they get to head one up, except Joseph. And friends, if you've ever scratched your head about this, if you've ever wondered why there is no tribe of Joseph, well, keep reading. Verse 5, have a look at it. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Now, friends, when Barry read that out before in the first reading, I reckon there's a pretty good chance your immediate gut reaction was, hang on, hang on a second, is Jacob back to his old tricks again? I mean, honestly, where does he get off telling Joseph and his wife that his two boys now no longer belong to them? Sorry, guys, they're both now mine. I mean, really? Wow. But friends, you may have also noticed there is not even a hint of Joseph being offended by this. And that's because Jacob reveals what he's talking about in what he says next. Have a look at it. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now, why does Jacob suddenly bring his sons into this conversation? And why these two? Well, guess who are Jacob's first and second born? That's right, Reuben and Simeon. But Jacob is telling Joseph right here, that's not how things are going to be counted from here on in. No, from this day on, your two sons are going to be counted as my first two sons. Now, friends, are you starting to see and hear what Joseph is seeing and hearing here? In declaring Ephraim and Manasseh as his own, Jacob is telling Joseph they will head up two of the tribes who will inherit the land. Now, will these two, because, you know, they are adopted, get the last pick of the land, the dribs and drabs? No, it's actually the opposite. Having replaced Reuben and Simeon as number one and number two, they will inherit the very best of the promised land. If you'd like to follow that up, jot down Deuteronomy chapter 33 and have a look at it later on. Anyway, Jacob makes all of this official and unchangeable over in verse 15. Have a look. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. 
And so, friends, stepping back, I hope you're beginning to see the amazing thing Jacob has just done for Joseph and his two half-Egyptian boys. And as we begin to see it and marvel at it, how can our focus not switch from the face of Jacob who speaks these gracious words to the God who inspired them? Who is the God of Jacob? Answer, he is the God who takes those on the outside and brings them in. He is the one who makes those who are not part of his natural family part of his natural family, loved, cherished and accepted as his very own. And friends, as we see this, as we see God's character shine through in this moment, it acts like a prophetic picture, a prophetic promise of a greater, more wonderful adoption to come. Why does God send his son, his very own son, into the world? So that we, through the son's loving sacrifice, might also become sons, true sons, just like the Son of God. Now, what exactly does that mean for us? Well, friends, the Apostle John, reflecting on our adoption, writes this. Have a listen. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Now reflecting on this, Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Friends, what does our adoption thanks to Christ mean? Well, these two verses are very, very clear. Sparkling, new, glorious eternal bodies. But friends, being adorned with brand new Christ-like bodies is really just the start. Because just as Ephraim and Manasseh, as newly minted sons, were given full legal title to reign and rule in the land, likewise, those adopted thanks to Christ are given the same the very same in the world to come. The saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. Daniel underlines this again in the very same chapter. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. And friends, if you think that's stunning, listen to what Jesus promises to the faithful in Laodicea. 
to him who overcomes, to the one who perseveres to the end, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Our friends, understanding just how hard it is to wrap our minds around these incredible promises, understanding our inclination is to think full adoption into God's family simply cannot be real. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8.15. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Friends, this mind-blowing promise and privilege is what sets Christianity so far apart from every other religion on earth. Now, as people scrape and fight and work to simply somehow be noticed by their version of God, the real God sends his real son into the world to die a real sacrificial death that we who were once far off might be forever brought near. And friends, all of this is anticipated right here in Genesis chapter 48. So let's now continue on to see what else this wonderful moment reveals. Because there's a twist in this story, a literal twist. Pick it up, verse 8. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? These are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And having seen Jacob do this, Joseph quickly jumps in, doesn't he, to sort this awkward moment out. Down to verse 17. When Joseph saw his father placing his, his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, 
His younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Now, friends, why does Jacob do this strange switcheroo? Now, clearly, Joseph thinks the answer has to got to do with my father's ageing and failing eyes. But that's clearly not the case, is it? As Jacob responds by assuring Joseph, I know, my son, I know. But what exactly does Jacob know as he intentionally crosses his ageing arms? What is this old patriarch communicating that we might also know? Well, friends, let's reflect on that for just a moment. First, by thinking backward in time. Now, when we do that, we start to see a little bit of a pattern here, don't we? Jacob's own father, Isaac, was blessed by Abraham. But only after Abraham, in his own strength, sought to hand that blessing on to his firstborn, Ishmael. Jacob is then blessed by Isaac over his stronger, older brother, Esau. Joseph takes preeminence over Reuben in Jacob's household. And now we see this younger over older play out once more with Ephraim over Manasseh. But friends, this pattern of the younger, the lesser, the weaker being chosen over the older and stronger doesn't finish there, does it? What does God say to Israel through Moses on the edge of the promised land? I chose you not because you were the first or the biggest or the strongest or the greatest, but because you are the smallest, because you are the least. Jump over into the New Testament and when Jesus chooses his 12, his new Israel, it's the same again, isn't it? Not the biggest and the brightest and the best, but nobodies, fishermen, a tax collector and a bunch of other complete no-names. It's all upside down. It's all opposite to the way the world understands strength. And we see this too in the very way Jesus conducts himself, don't we? God's great Messiah stoops to wash his disciples' filthy feet. And then the very next day, he submits to the weakest, most humiliating type of death. Friends, what did Jacob know? What had he learned during his 147 years on earth as he reaches his arms out and crosses them over? Well, nobody expresses it better than a strong man called Saul who was then brought down, literally brought down to the ground. And this great man then changed his name to Paul, which, if you weren't aware, means small. Anyway, writing to a church that was seeking to exert its strength, small says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Friends, what did Jacob know? What did he want us also to know? Clearly this, God doesn't need human strength, human determination, human ways of thinking, human ideas, human anything to achieve his mighty saving purpose. And so his pattern of choosing the weak, the lesser, the unlikely, the last in line over and over again to show and make it crystal clear our salvation comes not through achievement but through adoption. No rights, no say, no future, nothing to everything forever thanks to his mighty gracious, merciful love, and that love alone. This is the heavenly father Jacob came to know. Is this the heavenly father you know? If not, his son has your adoption papers at the ready. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we as we reflect on the life of Jacob, and in this last gesture as he crosses his arms, and we reflect on Jacob's life, all his striving, all his seeking to do his will. We thank you in this, in this intimate moment, the way he finally recognises that it has nothing to do with him, the blessing, but all on you, Lord Father. Your strength, your desire to bless, your desire to adopt those who are not your own. And Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how that plays out in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus and how we are adopted through him into your family, blessed and with a future that we can hardly even imagine. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for that great privilege and promise and blessing. Help us to know it doesn't depend on anything on us, as adoption never does. Now, Heavenly Father, encourage us in this truth so that we might continue to live as your sons and daughters, speaking out to a lost world to invite them into your adoption as well. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.